and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Daniel. And I'm Matt Trackbine. Hey, how's it going, Matt? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Doing all right. Doing very good. And I want to thank Hayden Orr this week for giving us a review. I'm oh, always yeah. mentioning the oh, reviews. Yes, thank we you. We got a review from Hayden Orr. He said, awesome show. I love it. Anyone that's a fan of Hellboy comics or interested in starting them should give these guys a listen. So, Hayden yeah. Orr, book club member. Thank you. Thank you. I also want to mention the raffle going on at Mike Manuela's Art on Facebook. That's going to be starting up on November 15th. And so if you're not already following that group, you definitely want to get on there because it's going to be an amazing raffle and the prize list is insane. So it's going to be raffle time. Yeah, go check raffle. that out. Yeah, I can't wait for it to start. I, I'm curious to know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> And also go check out Skeleton Crew if you're shopping for the holidays, you have some Hellboy fans, or maybe you're just looking to buy something for yourself. They have all sorts of officially licensed, that's the important part, right? Officially licensed Hellboy stuff, including replicas, enamel pins, statues, a whole bunch of cool stuff. So go check them out, too. And it's a good crew over there. Yes. Very friendly people. people. And now we're going to move on to our listener feedback. Get out, trades and floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along we got a hey you damn guys from brian levy what's up brian brian levy he said this week i've got a non-hellboy related question comment for you what other comics do you all love what are your favorite non-mignola comics my favorite non-mignola related comic is frank by jim woodring there's some crazy stuff in there that i know danielle would be into amazing art no words psychedelic and mystical all tight but enough about my stuff. Let's hear yours. Comics are the best form of storytelling. God damn it. I know the four of you have some cool faves. Brian Levy. And he said, P.S. If you don't know about Frank, here is your typical panel. And it was really trippy. It was really cool looking. Yeah, he sent cool. a, a panel of that in the email. Yeah, yeah, I gotta check that out. I think I've mentioned it also on the show. But the best thing I've read recently that I've really liked is this comic called Murder Falcon. Right, yeah. Right. It's by Daniel Warren Johnson. And uh, it's just really fun. Um, it's just an interesting take on merging music and comics. And like, if you want to go a little deeper, there's like a fictional metal band in there and he's actually made the songs. And so you can check that you can like listen to the nice. songs along with the comic and the art is just amazing. I really, his art style really appeals to me and it's just a, a fun book. It's got emotional, deep, heavy stuff, but it's also got just some crazy, awesome action and good times especially if you're a musician yeah i think it appeals to me a lot because i'm a musician and i play drums and that's part of the book is people play instruments and that plays into the action and stuff like that so i really enjoy that what what about you guys well you know i've talked about it before you know like east to west and saga but you know i i just actually reread watchmen again and that's still just one of my favorite stories oh, yeah, of all time. Yeah. 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 I'm really um, enjoying the show, too. That's why I reread it, because yeah. of the show. <laughs> I actually, I follow a lot of artists online on various, like, whatever, Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. So there's a lot of creators that do just a bunch of their own indie things. And right, I, I right. I really dig stuff like that, like stumbling onto and finding. I would have to go, <laughs> I have some, I would have to, like, go dig up a list for y'all, but I, I'll write that down as homework to kind of because i can't remember the titles or names of anyone or anything so but you're reading more like web comics and stuff like that following sp- certain artists or sometimes they do publish them and stuff but it's like yeah yeah kind of stuff, so, i'm thinking yeah. of like false knees like 
Don't they right. have a book that's coming out right now or something sure. like that? That's a collection but of not a lot even, of their... Like short form is great. And I do love like random one shot short form. But also a lot of these creators are, are doing long form mm-hmm. uh, stories too. And I just God, I wish I had a better memory for anything specific. I'll just make a list and we'll let y'all know about that okay. later, I guess. That's I cool. Just, yeah. I'm very, I can't, <laughs> I kind of freeze like a deer in headlights when someone asks me something spontaneous, like spur right. of the moment or whatever. So I can't think of anything specific. <laughs> On that note, have you uh, checked out um, what was it, Clown Car? But Ross Radke did the art for. No, I haven't seen that. Is it? A, it's online. Yeah, he posted it like either on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, pretty cool. Like, so, okay. like I don't remember the writer's name, but Rod, uh, Ross Radke did all the art for it. Nice. Oh, nice. I'll check yeah. that yeah. out. Very cool. Well, my favorite—it's right up there with Hellboy. My favorite comic is Stray Bullets. Nice. Uh, by david lapham and i i would just recommend anything david lapham does because he's amazing okay but i'm i'm also currently collecting criminal by ed brubaker and sean phillips one of the things like and i mean you know those are popular comics people read those but one of the things i reread a lot and i wouldn't uh you know just because aubrey mentioned Watchmen is and, and this might be unexpected but i love old comic strips ah like Okay. Like Peanuts and stuff like that. But I read Little Orphan Annie archives over and over and over again. Wow. Oh, that's cool. Because Harold Gray is such an amazing creator. Uh, he, he's the guy who made Little Orphan Annie. Okay. And it, it's not like the musical, you know, or, or the movie, The Sun Will Come Out. It's not like that. A lot of it has to do with, like, spies and oh. uh, espionage and stuff like that. It's pretty cool. So... That's, anyway, that's cool. Yeah, I, yeah, I really dig like all those old school comic strips. So I re- and and those are always available in collected editions and hardback. So I recommend people check those out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're talking about like stuff that I like to come back to every once in a while, I'll bust out Black Hole by Charles Burns. Somebody has my copy. That uh, I don't remember who I lent it to. That yeah, book, that's, that, a, that's that, an amazing that, book. That really impacted me when I read it. Yeah. And it's very kind of psychedelic and disturbing. It's almost like, you know, I think that you could compare it to like David Lynch or something like sure. that. It's got some some parts that are you have to kind of interpret for yourself. And it's just, um, there there are a lot of really beautiful, silent images on that. There are, there'll be pages where it's just no dialogue and stuff like that. And um, that's something that I come back to every once in a while. And it's just really, it's just put together so well. It's a full, you That's know, Hall of Fame type yeah, shit. Yeah, really, yeah. Right there. Yeah, I really oh. enjoyed the art in that with like the, the thick black lines. And right. All the, the solid blacks and the and the just, you know, the whole thing black and white. It was beautiful. Well, I was going to say, I also love the Meta Baron. Meta um, Baron. Okay, I don't think I've read yes, that. Um, well, remember, I, was, I, I think I was telling you about it off air one time. Meta Barons. Yeah. It's uh, published by Humanoids, which I think is a French publisher okay but okay. they you know oh. they're translating to english this was isn't jordorowski this the, isn't this the dune yeah thing? okay yeah I he was gonna do that. oh we did talk about that right yeah he was gonna do dune before david lynch took over they kicked him off but he had just enough time to assemble like the ultimate creative team that went on to make alien with ridley scott and and there's a great documentary about it it's called jordorowski's dune but he took the script which was just way too different from Dune, the novel. Uh, uh, he okay. took that and made a comic book out of it called Meta Barons, and they still publish it. It's amazing. That's awesome. That's yeah. Sweet. I have to check that out. When you said David Lynch, that kind of like kicked off this tra- train of thought in my head of 
It's similar in that, to me anyway, it's similar in that it takes the idea of narrative and does something with it that right. you have never seen. and yeah, Or yeah. at least for me, it did. Sure. And so that's, I know it sounds really silly to say something like, oh, it uh, transcends the idea of what narratives oh, can yeah. be and it <laughs> elevates the medium and all that sort of shit. Like these phrases that you hear are really overused and pretentious, but... It really does do that, oh, though. Yeah. It's awesome. I was actually going to make a comment about that for this story, okay. but, but we'll we'll get to that later. But great question, Brian, and I'm sure that we'll think of other things, and so maybe this could be like a recurring thing where we're like, oh, here's another thing that I'm enjoying. I think that that's cool to talk about other comics and kind of also spread the love, you know, um, as we were talking, I was also thinking of Rumble by John Arcudi and James Heron, which is an incredible title, too, by Image, if you're checking that out. I have not heard of that. What is that? Rumble? Oh, my. Well, I have the first three trains what? of it. You should check it out. <laughs> okay. I got it. Yeah, it's right okay. here in our house. I yeah, haven't okay. read it. It's, it's James Heron. Okay. So we love James Heron's yeah. art already. Yeah. And then it's written by John Arcudi, who wrote well, all the great BPRD stuff. Well, that's what I'm doing right after we record the book club. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we had some feedback on The Garden 2. Mark Tweedell said... Mark Tweedell. Book club member. Yeah. Danielle's description of Gustav Strobel as a dramatic bitch is so accurate. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he said the left hand, right hand thing is something that Scott Alley knew was coming for a long time. He enjoyed the deliberate mislead, making us think it was the left hand. I'd write hell notes about this stuff, and he'd drop sly hints like, You're not quite correct there. And then when the reveal came, it just blew my mind like a puzzle piece falling into place and done so naturally, too. Okay, so there is evidence that this this is all worked out ahead right. of time. And this wasn't just a, mm -hmm. well, if you think about it, it could be like this. So that's cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. He know. Oh, no, I was just saying it's really interesting to know. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. <laughs> he said, I, too, would love to read a Liz Sherman miniseries. I'd like to see it written and drawn by women, though. I can't help but think Maura McHugh would be a good writer for it, and she did Mysteries of Unland. Okay, yeah. When I got to talk to her, she had such a passion for the Hellboy universe. Yeah, so thanks, Mark, for the feedback there. We also had some feedback on BPRD Hell on Earth Grind. Wes Mattis said... Is that you in the frame, John, when I posted that last image of uh, oh, right. Aaron yeah. with yeah. all the mushrooms coming out of uh, him? And then, but it got me to thinking, like, I should have done that as a Halloween costume. Huh. That well, would have been with year. all the mushrooms all over me yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, because even if you don't get the reference, that's still pretty tight costume. It's still pretty cool. Yeah. And then I saw this Twitter that was like, everyone this Halloween was like, remember that episode of that one thing, I'm that guy. Yeah. That what, like everybody, <laughs> Everybody's costumes this year were so niche or whatever, so well, it would have been perfectly appropriate. And a lot of people nice. are dressed up like memes and stuff. Yeah, and exactly. So it's a, exactly yeah. Yeah. It's its own thing now, which is so well, interesting. See, see now me. you have like a whole year to plan it out. Right. Right, right. Well, actually... But the, the zeitgeist moves so fucking fast now, the discourse. It's yeah. like you can... Even something six months ago, people are like, what is that? Yeah, really. But who cares? I mean, uh, um, I'll, I'll be stuck in the Hellboy universe forever. Sure. That's fine. Or you know what? You could do that. You could dress up like that for Comic Palooza. Oh, that would be a good one. <laughs> yeah. Mark Tweedell said, grind. What a way for Tyler Crook to buy out of the BPRD. It's such a fantastic one shot. And yeah, so that we didn't talk about that. That is the last work that Tyler Crook has done so far. Okay. He he Aww. hasn't He hasn't done anything else for BPRD since then. So yeah, what a great way to go out. Some feedback on last week's Halloween episode, Hellboy Mass and Monsters. 
Local God has said, can you guys please talk about how Ghost would be a great addition to the team in an alternate world of the BPRD? And maybe they could give her a better uniform, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, they give her the standard yeah, BPRD good. costume. Yeah, really. Because she's got some pretty good... She brings, like, the Kitty Pride kind of powers into the into the thing. You know what I mean? Maybe Hellboy think... wouldn't have to crash through as many ceilings if she could just run him inside or something. I think reading what I've read, I think that now, if that was a totally brand new character and had never been introduced and joined the BPRD, I think, like, as a current character... I think that would have some right, potential to yeah. be something super cool. And I, I feel like the first thing they would have done was somehow restrict her ability. Yeah, I agree. Like, yeah, They would have done something where it was like the character's arc is getting back to the place where she could use her powers that, that way. kind of was Liz, I think, though. Because yeah. I think DPRD yeah, has a more, interesting, similar, yeah. a more interesting angle to their characters than just... You have sure. a power and you use it all the time. You know, yeah, like look yeah. at the evolution of Liz. For right? yeah, for real. If she had joined the BPRD, they probably would have stuck with a more metaphysical, mystical origin instead of trying to say she's got nanites and she only. Oh thinks yeah, she's that's a for ghost. sure. It would be a yeah. ghost for sure. Yeah, so yeah, that right. would have been an interesting development. You know, although I don't really know anything about the damn character. <laughs> right. <laughs> Jen Nikla said. What is this? Do my eyes deceive me? A Hellboy episode on the Hellboy Book Club podcast? I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. <laughs> uh, we'll invite him around yeah. every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's bound to happen. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I love Mike's Batman 2. He wrote a few good Batman stories with a focus on horror, and they work quite well. He's a way darker and more vulnerable character in those stories, and I like this interpretation. A nice reminder that Batman is quite versatile if people just stop goshing over him. So, Mass and Monsters, you already said it. This is just plain fun. At least Hellboy Batman Starman is. What are those things you call character flaws? Be gone, foul person. Who wants their drama with complexities and stuff? Yeah. Hellboy Batman Starman doesn't care for your modern stuff. This story is like playing with your favorite action figures. We have fun here. Fun with cheesy dialogues, good guys beating up bad guys, and everybody who isn't a Nazi is ready for the next adventure. Fun. <laughs> but this is the most un-James Robinson story I've read, because Starman is something else. I think at his peak, Robinson could have been the third great British author who did a new take on superheroes, but instead of taking the genre apart, like Alan Moore, or just doing his own thing like Neil Gaiman, Robinson was basically, I love all my own stuff. And now I'll tell you why. That was Starman in a nutshell. Celebration of old stories, western, pirates, superheroes of the 40s, untouched by deconstruction or modernizations, and somehow still being good. Well, that and Daddy is Proud of Me, the book. Or being a nerd is cool, and you should be proud of that, as long as you read the correct stuff, the book. <laughs> uh, I'm already, I'm, I've asked my local comic shop, and they've actually reached out to some other collectors and comic shops in the greater Denver area. I'm going to get all those 90 Starman comics if I can. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And he said, okay, you already said everything we're saying about Hellboy Ghost, but can someone answer me a question? Whose fault is it that heroes have to fight each other first before they fight the bad guy? It was Frank Miller, wasn't it? Damn you, Frank, but I think the story was fine. I mean, both heroes got to shine, and it felt like a solid Hellboy yarn. The bad guy talks like Rasputin. Hellboy wisecracks. Everything is fine. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, it might have been Frank Miller. I mean, I feel like nah, more I like think... 
more like a marketing well, decision. <laughs> remember um, Spider-Man, Superman crossover? Oh yeah. yeah. When was that? Was that, that before? That was before Frank oh, yeah. Miller, that was I guess. In the seventies, right? I mean, I'm sure it's happened outside of. Comics oh well, what too. about World's Finest? Batman's yeah. Batman, Superman. That's like. But did they fight? I'm sure know. they did. I don't. Know, just, you remember that uh, scene in Stand by Me where they're walking down the tracks and it's. Uh, He's all he's talking about, like, so who do you think would win in a fight, Mighty Mouse or Superman? Right. So I feel like it's just like kids like that who was like, okay, now I'm going to see who's going to win in a fight. Yeah, it's just always been <laughs> yeah. something. Huh. Yeah. Thank you, Jen Niklas. Mark Tweedell said, on the issue of continuity, I get a feeling all the backstory is in continuity, but the actual story isn't. It's part of the whole package deal with these crossover comics. They're advertising in a form of a what-if story. The whole idea is to get Hellboy readers looking at Ghost and vice versa. I can't help hearing it all in the dialogue where Hellboy's like, so you're Ghost. Let me explain what your deal is. And Ghost is like, and this is how I feel about my backstory. Now let me explain your backstory. And then Hellboy's like, yep, and this is how I feel about that. We should hang out again sometime. Yeah, just big steaming, heaping piles of exposition. Yeah. And Ghost is like, not going to happen, bucko. This crossover was a one-time deal. That's basically it. Yeah. He's right about that. Yeah. Jason Abaddon said, wow. Never read the Ghost Hellboy crossover, so I'm experiencing it with a podcast. Ghost is two scoops of stupid. Talk about being easily <laughs> fooled. <laughs> he said the golden doorway in the Ghost crossover reminded me of the golden tablets from the island. They do kind of have that similar design, and Mignola yeah. did the layouts for that, so that's pretty cool. Regarding Mignola not wanting to show Hellboy's palm, maybe it was a story idea, like how the right hand was used in the first Hellboy movie. Batman and Starman know each other from the Starman comic, where their first unwilling meetup is hilarious, as Jack tells Batman off about his dark and brooding bullshit act. (laughs) Eventually, they respect each other and are on friendly terms in the pages of Justice League. Well, I think he really is just a very sad boy. But yeah, sometimes... it's a little much. Right. The whole Karumba thing was not something Starman would say in the series and was probably just an absurdity. Starman is all about cool stuff, from his clothes to his store, which is part antique shop, part retro kitsch. He's someone more comfortable in an old Hawaiian shirt than some new fashion. So he'd be down with Hellboy and probably Mignola too, right? Because <laughs> Mignola's always wearing those yeah. shirts. That's cool. Sure, yeah. And he said, I love the great covers. I wish we had gotten to see all three of them beating Nazis together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was actually my, my, one, my one complaint about that story is like... Not enough Nazi punching? Well, you can never have enough Nazi punching. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, agree. But uh, we didn't get enough... Bat- Batman wasn't in both and Starman wasn't in both. Uh, right, right. Yeah. I don't know. I think that's kind of... That's kind of all right. I mean, it worked for the story, yeah. but I've, I I always say I always think like when a, when a series makes you go, oh, that was awesome, but I wish this when it leaves you wanting more, like that's a good yeah. that's a good sign. Yeah. Nathaniel Green said this was super fun to be out of the reading order, but almost warrants going through all of Mister Mignola's Batman content. <laughs> Wes Mattis said I have the single issues of these, and I'm excited to review them. I love the Mignola Joker and always enjoy Batman by Mignola. Bruce Wayne would make an awesome BPRD researcher field agent. Yeah, they do focus on a lot of the okay. field agents. So yeah, if they just took Bruce Wayne without the Batman and just had him be like just a regular guy, oh, that's kind of neat. That would yeah. Be, yeah. Bruce Wayne agent of yeah. BPRD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it could be kind of like an X-Files type of thing again. Like right, they were doing yeah. some of that, yeah. which I like. 
I think that would be yeah super good. Yeah. Just take like a character. I mean, like Vaughn. You know, he's had all his yeah. independent missions before he got uh, taken by Strobel. Batman and what's it called? The guy, that guy. Lobster Johnson. Well, and yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I would want to see that crossover. No, I was thinking, there's a guy. Oh, Edward Gray. Know. Yes, thank you. Oh, Edward Batman Gray. and Edward Gray would yeah, be awesome. Man. Time traveling yeah. shit. Yes. It'd be awesome. Like the the real old version. Yeah. Of sure. yeah. yeah. Like a very young Batman. That'd that would be, be cool. great. Yeah. The Batman. He'd, he'd be the Batman. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Count Von Bruce Wayne. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Sarah Cole said, I know. Sarah Dan- Cole. A club member. <laughs> I know Danielle hates it, but I quite like the ghost outfit. It's very pulp, <laughs> and especially with Mignola's style, it can be quite eerie. No, yeah, I know. I, I, I hate, I hate too much. It's, it's fine. It's fine. She says it fits in well with phantom and shadow types. Would wear. Yeah, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but yeah, of course. <laughs> Ross Radke said they need to do an omnibus where they put all these stories plus next men, Madman, Beast of Burden crossovers. And I'm trying to think, what other crossovers are there, Matt? Do you remember? There's like Painkiller Jane, and then there's like another weird one. Well, The Goon, that was my favorite. Oh, The Goon, yeah, Did that's another that? one. I'm trying to think what I'm other... I'm not a big fan of the non-canon stuff. Sure. But, I mean, they're fun. Yeah, and Ross said... That's how I discovered The Goon, though. Yeah, through the... And, through and crossover, I guess that's the intention. Yeah. yeah, I think that's how I discovered The Goon also. And um, Ross Radke also said, I've also heard Mignola say that these stories and the weird tales are canon if you want them to be. Yeah. So I think that's a good way to look at it, too. I'm still thinking about this ghost thing. Like, would you wear Like, could you physically wear that? Well, Matt said he's seen the cosplayers, right? You've seen cosplayers. How do they do it, I wonder? Oh, you know what? It's probably like those ice skaters have that, like like um whatever their skin tone is they find like, like a, a really fine kind of mesh thing. yeah to match that hmm. and then so it looks like you know what that would be super cool i would have to look this up and see well, yeah. how they pulled this off there's a I bet it looks fine i'm not trying to hate too much i think it's fine there's like an adhesive patch sure oh right yeah. those are use... those are horrible though i won't get too into that yeah speaking of the whole canon thing that's not kind of how i feel about it you know it's, it's always canon if you want it to be right sure, right canon, and yeah. you know because i mean it's just I mean, if you want it to be that way, you can be that way. If yeah. not, then not. Then well, like again, that. this brings us back around to Just the fan fiction ups- yeah. uh, discussion, which I think is, I'm on the, it's fine yeah. side. I'm on the, <laughs> yeah. it's great. Do it. You should do it. And some things I forgot to talk about last week. So our good friend Albert from Canberra in Australia, Albert Chessa on Instagram, he started his own like clothing thing online. He's selling oh. these super cool psychedelic nature channeled pattern shirts and leggings sounds cool and they're really cool they're in a variety of designs and colors and so you can check that out at resonant.threadless.com i wanted to give him a shout out because he's such a great guy he's always really nice to me he's always messaging me and saying awesome things about us so give him a follow over at albert chessa c-h-e-s-s-a on instagram now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week this week we're talking about Abe Sapien, The Black School. This is a one-shot story published in February 2016 as Abe Sapien, Issue 31. Written by Mignola and Ali, art by Sebastian Fumara, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. 
And so I do want to talk about really quick before we get into the story, you know, witchcraft and demonology, that crazy issue that was just about Strobel and his origin that was drawn by um, Santiago Caruso that had just come out prior to this episode this issue so that was issue 30 and then this is issue 31 but we read that one a long time ago so you just want to remember like struggle took the short straw and he turned any face of the master and then he learned all this evil magic he put on some super cool Trent Reznor goggles, and he went and hung out and hung out with some witches, and then he went down to hell, and he was tortured, and he tortured others, and then he came back with his super evil magic powers and the red salamanders and all that stuff. Now he can, just like the Silver Surfer can summon a surfboard, Strobel can summon his sweet horse-drawn carriage. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that leads us into the beginning of this story. So we open on the North Carolina coast near Wilmington, and we get this scene on a pier with a man, Richard, and his son, Milo. You can't go past that very first panel. That is the theme for the entire arc here, the butterfly. Yeah, it's nice. Ah, okay. That was a very, like, at, at an early age, I think most people learn about metamorphosis through butterflies. Right, right. right? So caterpillar, cocoon, mm. butterfly. And I think that's a very deliberate, like, symbolism. Okay. Dare yeah. I say it, Kafka-esque. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you're right, and then that got me thinking about symbolism as I read this first scene. And it's also about healing and survival. Mm-hmm. Those are just some of the themes that stuck with me while yeah, I read the, for sure. these issues. Yeah, and I thought this was an interesting opening. So this little kid, Milo... He's, like, watching this butterfly and stuff like that. And then he, like, screams out in this bottom panel. And it's, like, all red, too. And so, like, it made me think, like, something crazy right. is happening. Or we're going to we're gonna turn the page and see some awful monster coming out of the water or something. I just want to point out real quick also that I really, really appreciate it every single time when an artist knows how to draw an actual child and not oh, right. just a oh, yeah. very small adult. Sure, yeah. Who, like, the proportions are not super... Like, it's weird. They end up sometimes looking like those medieval paintings. Right, yeah. But this is, oh. this is clearly a child. It's clearly a toddler. Well, like, and, and I think there's a reason for that. We'll get to that when we get to the sketchbook. But anyway, yeah. I just, yeah, I had to point that out. Great, yeah. And so the little kid screams out, but it's because he got a splinter. And so you turn the page and it's just like, oh, well, we're going to take that splinter Yeah, out. that was such a, I was like, oh, fuck, what are they <laughs> yeah. doing? This is dark already, like the first page. But then it's, no, it's not. It, they it didn't was, go it was the uh, classic beat and switch. Sure. Kind of thing. Yeah. And so. But I like that in a, in a movie sometimes too, where it's like, okay, they didn't go all the way there. Sure, but it's still sure. freaking me out. So right, right. Yeah. This older guy, John, he takes the splinter out. I was trying to figure out. Is this this guy's dad or some? Are they all related? Because like he calls him John, but if it was my dad, I wouldn't call my dad by my first name. But the little kid calls him Grandpa, so maybe he's just like a symbolic grandpa or uh, something. Father-in-law. Like that. Oh, right. father-in-law, maybe. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Okay, it could be father-in-law. Yeah, yeah. that that makes sense. Also, and, but this where he's pulling out the thing out of his, where he's pulling the splinter out of his finger. I can like feel that right, panel, yeah. like and that it's is, all red too in the back, yeah. orange background. Yeah, but the way that the little droplets of and it's there's so much motion. Yeah, in this, but it's not really like how do they do that anyway? I just want to point the uh, splinter, the uh, tweezers he pulls out of his uh, Swiss Army knife. Yeah, are much better than the ones that I've used. Because oh yeah, I've never seen. It was just like, like about that. a month ago. I got like a bad splinter, and I tried to pull out one with those work. type of tweezers, oh. and it didn't work. Uh, Oh, I go right for the Epsom salt. 
in those cases. What's your favorite way to get a yeah, splinter out of your finger? Let us know in the listener. <laughs> hey, damn guys. <laughs> and so they're talking about fishing, how they only caught one black fin, and how they should get there earlier. After the grandpa pulls out the splinter, they get in the car and drive away. And we get this huge scene of all the waves crashing down around the pier. And down at the bottom, we can see Abe kind of swimming off. Love it. Really, really nice panel. Yeah. We cut to Norway, west of the Sinis. And what is this bird here? It's definitely some kind of shore bird or maybe even a wading bird. The first thing that came to mind when I was when I was reading this was this some kind of sandpiper or snipe or something. Right. Uh, so I was trying to look this up on Google, like kind of with a limited, limited. Like I, I love birds and I love birding, but I'm not that. Right. I obviously can't remember jack shit. So <laughs> there's uh, there's plenty of these types of birds in Norway. And I was looking at these birds to try and narrow it down. I came across some pictures of various species of birds called godwits. Oh, nice. Yeah. And they also look very much like this depiction. Um, it's probably impossible to actually narrow it down to anything specific. But I do appreciate the mood shots. Yeah. And really, he has this little yeah, foot up. Yeah. He has, he has one foot up. Yeah. yeah. It lends itself to the set and setting, the gray water, the rustic looking building with the Water wheel, the cloudy sky, the body language of the bird, where it yeah. has one foot up, kind of, it, it puts you into the story, like, it's a remote location, maybe it's cold. Right, right. There, and so you already are getting into it. Yeah, this. and so Strobel, they pull up to this dilapidated remains of the black school, and Strobel looks very nostalgic, right, in this panel also. You know, he's very emotive when he sees it. Which, haven't really seen too much emotion no, from yeah, him at all, anyway. other than like, I'm a bad guy. Yeah, like, exactly. So it's very, it's interesting to me to to see that, which makes it a powerful moment. It kind of, the impact of going back to the black school now right, is set, yeah. settling in. It's kind of cool because we read that story where about his origin like a, like a couple months ago. If we had just read it last week, I don't know that we would kind of get this impact also where it's like, oh, he's coming back here. We would have been like, oh, well, it hasn't really been that long. You know what I mean? So yeah, I do like how impact, it was. Yeah. I do like how in the reading order, we kind of read it a long time ago. Strobel tells Vaughn that when he was 10, he was offered something more at the school. I thought my instructor was no less than Satan. These halls, hell itself. But I was to learn. I was to learn. And we see one of these like giant bug things in the corner. So those those are like the flies that got O'Donnell, right? Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. The transformation of J.H. O'Donnell, which is also drawn by the Fumaras. Um, We saw that O'Donnell, those hooded figures like turned into these giant flies and we'll see more of that in this issue i like um the further down the stairs they go the more weird things are starting to get weird it's a little they're crossing a threshold yeah and like after this page everything's super psychedelic and weird so and as they're going down the stairs Antonis Corvellis, or his skull, that Strobel's been carrying along all this time, starts speaking to him. Your learning continued well past these walls. Hell itself, you were so eager. Ambitious, Strobel says. Courageous and bold. And he drops the skull, and the room explodes in light, kind of revealing all these bug monsters, flies, (laughs) or whatever. And Strobel's, like, got his red salamanders going around his head. But this kind of reminded me of a scene in Hellboy in Hell, where... 
um, in the abyss, in the abyss uh-huh. where yeah. Edward Graves sends out that light, and then we see there's all these giant yeah. like jellyfish things around, yeah. flies around Hellboy. It was kind of reminded me of that. And the skull from Corvellis, it like cracks, and it's still got the rope around it. We're going to kind of see that throughout this. That's kind of like how you can tell which bug he is. But it starts like turning, transforming into this bug from within or something like that. Somehow a bug, one of these giant things emerges from it. So this is what happens to you in the afterlife when you're messing with the dark arts. Right. right? Like a human. You become like a fly monster. Right, right. And they always talk, they talk a lot about the house of the fly too in hell. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if like, if they knew that was their fate, would they have kept messing around with the dark arts or they would have been like, well, I don't want to be a fly. Right. <laughs> that and would turn me off. <laughs> Knowing that there are consequences for your actions. <laughs> yes, well, I should hope so. I feel like Strobel's the kind of guy who's like, eh, how bad could it be? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Strobel recognizes this. these are all his old pals, right? He's like, oh, hey, it's Lord Manter Kintos. You look wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Strobel sends out these salamanders, and it seems like they kind of chase all the flies away, except for Corvellus's bug form, which Strobel then kicks down some stairs, and then he, like, drags it along with him. He's still in all that rope that was tied up in the skull. Here I made the greatest decision of my life, soldier, he tells Vaughn. I took the short straw on purpose. I like that line. It's a good line. Yeah. but solid. I walked through this door. And so they go down into there, and so this is the same doorway that he went into in Witchcraft and Demonology. And so Corvellis is like, when he says, I walked through this door, he's like, yes, at the bidding of our master, this door. Do so again without permission. Like, it's like he can't do it or something, because then he tells Vaughn to do it, right? He, like, yeah, uses his magic. It. Right. Yeah. And then so on that next panel, like after Vaughn does it, he's like, he looks at his hands like, what did I do? Like, we get the sense right away that Strobel can just make Vaughn do whatever he wants. And Vaughn has like no control at all. He's got the red eyes. Isn't that a sign? Oh, right. Yeah. Seen that in some of the horses. Yeah, you're right. We did see that. And so they enter into this room, and so this is the room that we saw in Witchcraft and Demonology, and Marboss was there at the podium or whatever. And so I remember when I did the research for that episode, around the doorway it says something like, enter and see how your soul is damned. (laughs) Yeah. And so they go go in there. Yeah. (laughs) So they go in there, and uh, they're looking around. There's like cobwebs everywhere. There's all the old books, and Strobel's kind of looking around. And the Corvellis' bug form starts talking about this book, and it looks like he's looking for it. The Apocalypse of Pope Sixtus V. And so if Pope Sixtus V sounds familiar, it's because we've mentioned him before. We had a connection to him in BPRD, The Universal Machine. And so when they talk about that town that they were in where the marquee was, it had been destroyed, and then it had been rebuilt. And the Marquis had the ring of the guy. It was Pope Sixtus V. And then that was the ring that Kate cut off in order to gain an advantage over the Marquis. That's where that name was mentioned. Ah. I actually kind of forgot about that one. Yeah. And Strobel checks out the apocalypse of Pope Sixtus V, this book. And he says the book is about how man will bring about his own doom. The end days are different than revelations. It's not Satan he's describing, Strobel says but the power behind it, the hand. 
And so we get this image of an Ogdruhem here, and this looks like one of the ones that we saw in Reign of the Black Flame, I think, that Liz fought or something like that, right? Yeah, it does kind of have that look. It, well, you could say it could be, because you see that streak could be Liz. Oh, yeah, exactly. Probably not. I mean, that's just probably a coincidence. It's probably just Klaus, but it could, hmm. could be flying Liz. Right. And then so Strobel notices as he's flipping through the book that pages have been torn out of it. And he's like, motherfucker, Marbaz, you lion-faced book vandal. He's like, he's like, who would damage these books? Yeah. <laughs> and so Marbaz is mentioned here, and he's the one that um, uh, Strobel learned from in the Black School and all that stuff. And so Strobel starts invoking Marbaz and telling him to appear in his human form. And he's using all this kind of incantation. A lot of this was exactly the same phrasing that we saw in Dark and Terrible when he was trying to call down to hell and nobody was answering, remember? Yeah. And then he, like, burned down that house afterwards. Oh, I hate man struggle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he's still trying to be, like, the ruler of all this chaos and hell on earth, right? Right, right, right. And Corvellus calls him a fool. He says, Marbos is dead in hell. You'll get yourself killed doing this, he says. But Strobel keeps on going. He says the power is still here. And so suddenly he's able to invoke or something. This shrouded figure appears in this green smoke. There is power here, the figure says. Only not so much as you think yourself do. And Strobel's like, are you Marbos, master of this school? Also known as Barbas, I thought that was a weird, that weird addition yeah. that he would that he would say that little extra piece. Yeah, also known as Darbas, also known as Barbas. <laughs> <laughs> like someone would have to remind you of your other nicknames. Yeah. Like, hey, are you Aubrey Loveless, also known as Obs? <laughs> also known as Obsless, also known as. Uh... Yeah, I like how when the guy does appear, he's like, "There is power here, only not so much as you think yourself do." And I think that's kind of like a telling because it feels like yeah dude you think you deserve this power but do you right yeah. right yeah I, I don't know i just kind of like you that. have an inflated sense of yourself right yeah even all the learning in this room cannot make a difference now gustav strobel mark me the figure says and he talks about how the council of the fly has fallen and he mentions agaras and he says agaras was eaten by his steed satan himself nearly beheaded and so agaras he's a grand duke of hell one of the 72 spirits solomon is reputed to have shut up in a brass vessel and cast into a deep lake he appears as an old man riding a crocodile and carrying a hawk on his fist and so here we see that he's being killed by a crocodile and a hawk. Yeah, he's being eaten by the croc, and the and the hawk has ripped out his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> you draw upon a battery that is all but dead, the figure says, but as you see, I live. Acknowledge me as your master and master of the school, and I will grant you the power you desire, that which you deserve. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, he's like, I'm going to give you what you deserve, all right. Yeah, I wouldn't trust that. <laughs> you know, Strobel asks him again, but are you Marbas? An opportunity is presented to you, and you respond with disrespect, the figure says. You are a doomed creature, Strobel. Bear my mark. And he's like a baboon demon or something, and he yeah. and he like cuts off Strobel's nose with his claw, which is super gory. It's just <laughs> like Yeah. And so in demonology, 
Gusion, who is this character, is a strong great duke of hell and ruler over 40 legions of demons. He is depicted as a baboon, or according to some, in a dog-headed form. He tells all past, present, and future things, shows the meaning of all questions that are asked to him, reconciles friends, gives honor and dignity. And so, you know, I guess he's giving Strobel his version of honor here as he chops off his nose. You said sometimes, like, they said uh, a baboon and sometimes a, a dog? It, yeah, dog-headed. I can actually kind of see that in the, uh, especially when you look at the sketchbook part, you know, the way that he's drawn. Oh, okay, it, it yeah. It does look like a baboon, but I could, like, see how somebody could mistake it as a dog. Oh, okay, cool. And it made me think about how, like, when we talked about how, like, uh, baboons were mistaken for werewolves. Yeah, and that was in the Universal Machine, yep. which was where they mentioned Pope Sixtus V. Oh, yeah, shit. it's all connected. <laughs> I like that. But another thing that makes me think of is, like, how much they reference these demons and stuff. You know what I mean? like they're including oh, like yeah. the stuff that is actually in their canon or whatever which i think is interesting and so after he cuts off strobel's nose he's like i knew it wasn't marboss then one of these other bugs jumps out and he's like i'm de carvajo help me corvellus and so de carvajo was one of strobel's apprentices that was mentioned in witchcraft and demonology so He's got something against Strobel, too, and he's, like, telling Corvellis, like, hey, now's our chance. Let's both get him. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so Vaughn kind of tries to intervene to get in front of this one bug monster, but then it, like, stabs him through. And then we see one of Strobel's symbols in the air, that green kind of sigil, and he says, De Cavarjo, stop. And we see, like, the sigil wraps up the bug monster. He, like, is able to, like, lasso him that way. So this is De Carvajo now. He says, Sacred knowledge placed in the hands of frail minds, now condemned to a dead hell. For what? You betrayed us, betrayed this school, you betrayed mankind, and you have nothing. And Strobel says, I would wield the new power. How? And so I guess since he's got him binded up like that, he's able to get answers out yeah. of him. Because like then this book opens. And so Strobel starts reading in it. And in this book, it describes how mystics were able to harness the secrets of the fire the vril the most noble of these men had made himself a vessel to carry forward to the next race and we see all this abe sapien imagery right we even see that symbol which i think is really interesting that's that, that yeah. uh that symbol that people have been drawing but here it's like in an ancient text so it's like it was predicted or something or somehow in the subconscious of people this is so weird right well, looks like Gene might have been onto something. I know, you right? Know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and we've seen some of these similar images in other stories. Oannes, that's what Strobel says, and that's who this figure has been referred to as. And so he takes this book, and so on the cover of the book, you can't really see what it says either. It's all like in these weird symbols. I didn't even try and translate that. I guess it translates into something, right? It, isn't it Greek? Like ancient Greek? Oh, something? is it? Oh, Dang no. it, I should have looked yeah, at that. Yeah, it looks like Greek letters. Yeah, so if anybody uh, can translate that for us, or if you know how to translate Greek, I'd be interested in what that says. Um, on the bottom, it does have like. Yes, a, if there's any people who know how to translate ancient Greek, <laughs> I'm listening sure, to this podcast, I mean, please get back to us. I'm sure with the internet, you can totally do. I probably could have done it if I would have thought of that. One little detail: Strobel takes this knocked over ink thing with him as he's walking out. There's like a little ink well that's been tipped over. And he takes that in his hand and he takes the book. And De Carvajo's like, "No, you can't take the book." Corvellis is like, "Aren't your sins against this place great enough, Strobel?" 
And so Strobel invokes the first and fifth pentacles of Saturn, and he's like able to use this spell to like crack the bugs in half or something like that. And so I thought that was a neat effect too. Yeah. I thought I had some research for this, but I guess it comes up later. He mentions the first and fifth pentacles later. That's probably where I have my notes of it. So I'll just come back to that. When we get outside, he takes the little inkwell and he like paints that part where his nose was cut off. I thought that was interesting, right? To yeah. like make it just look black there. Yeah, I was like, I was like, wait, is he is he drawing his nose back on, or is he attaching it with the ink or something? Right. You know? They go outside, and Vaughn notices how dark it is now, when it was morning when they first arrived. Strobel says they're going to find Vaughn's friend. He says he thought Abe was simply the next stage of the frog monsters, but he's the bridge between the first race of our race, who knew how to wield the power, and those who will come next. And it seems... Okay, so this is crazy. So it seems like they go flying in the carriage, right? Am I correct on that? Because, like... We see Strobel's leg here, and then we see, like, mountains. And there's this part where they're, like, going really fast, and Vaughn's, like, almost coming apart. And he's like, you're doing this? Should we go slower? And Strobel's like, I am doing this. You should go faster. They're flying in the carriage, right? Yeah, it's like magic and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's just so interesting how throughout this series, a lot of Strobel's magic has been really subtle, and they have really subtle ways of depicting it. And here again, we we never see the carriage flying through the air. Right, yeah. But we're getting it from a point of view where we see that that's happening. But I, I just think it's interesting they don't show any of this stuff. Right. That would be corny, right? Yeah. For this to show, like, the carriage, like, Mary Poppins style. <laughs> <laughs> and so as they're flying, Strobel, he's got the book that he stole from the, from the black school and the ink. And in there, he draws that Abe symbol. But it also looks like, did he draw, like, Manhattan? Or no, he just poured some of the ink on there, so I think it's making a map for him. So, that's again some of that subtle magic, and we okay. see yeah, a similar. That's pretty cool. We see a similar effect later. Thank you for pointing that out, Aubrey. That is Manhattan. Yeah, because and then you can see the little county lines and everything. Like right. That, so. mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like telling him where to go to find Abe. That's pretty cool. Strobel says, "You saw me bind that fool de Carvajo. If I can control the fishman." What power will I hold over the world to come? And we also see Abe arriving in New York. And so we see that toothed Ogdruhem that we saw in Reign of the Black Flame. And Abe walks through the devastated city. And he comes across... Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Children. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually the private residence of Trevor Broom. But it does kind of evoke that from the movies. And so I wanted you to throw that in there. That was great. Um. (laughs) If you didn't make that joke, I was gonna. So so where does this fall on the timeline with the Black Flame storyline? So the Black Flame's already happened, right? Yes. Don't ask. Because at this point, that... EPRD storyline has gone really far, mm. really, really, really far. So, so we'll we'll come we'll wrap around back to this. Yeah, and so um, but we see Abe's hand on the little placard that says "Private Residence Professor Trevor Broom, nineteen eighteen to nineteen ninety four in memoriam," and it has the BPRD logo on it. And that's how we end the issue. I like that. That's a good question, though, Aubrey, because I don't think Abe would be. This is Brooklyn. Yeah, Queens, Brooklyn. So I, I don't think Abe would be there while that was going on and not notice. Right, right. Of course. So it's either right before that 
or well after. Mm -hmm. I just think as far as like how these issues were coming out in the original publication, it's well after. Yeah. Here's where I welcome Mark Tweedale. Sure, sure. Mark (laughs) Tweedale. Tell us what's really going on. Let's throw out the the bat signal for Mark Tweedale. Yeah. That is awesome. Our next story is going to be Abe Sapien Regressions. This is a two-issue arc published from April to May 2016 as Abe Sapien issues 32 and 33, written by Mignola and Alley, art by Max Fumara, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. I love this cover. I, I love like when they do stuff like this where they have like the uh, that one image, but it's also the face. and Right, you know, yeah. I love images like that. It's yeah. really cool. And so it's like so, Trevor Broom's head, but it's also overlaid with all the tapes and everything, right? And remember back to, it was... Um, it starts to all run together, right? Um, well, what, yeah, but remember they were doing like Mignola-esque uh, yes. interpretation oh, of right, a flashback. Yeah. And there was that tape recorder. And we know uh, from Seed yeah. of Destruction that Broom was talking into his tape recorder. And then so it's, now it's like... Yeah. Oh, you mean the tape recorder means something? It wasn't right. just like a and, prop. And in that same story, they said that they found nothing, and there was an right. ominous picture of Trevor Broom. So now we can say that wasn't the case, right? Right. Oh. Right. Yeah. Um, I think this issue is these two issues are really interesting because a lot of it is very kind of atmospheric. There's not a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of mood setting. It's kind of very minimal. And so I thought that that was really cool. You know, I was surprised to find out that this was two issues um, because they really just kind of flow together like one thing. I honestly didn't know it was two issues when we were reading. When yeah. I read it. <laughs> In the omnibus, it's just put as one chapter. And so we open up on the remains of New York, and they really give us... And see, I was thinking this was after the Black Flame, because everything is just destroyed, right? Yeah. And so I figured this was the fallout of that giant black cloud of burst of energy that the Black Flame let out at the end of that series. And we see the apartment of Trevor Broom, and then we go inside, and so we can see that people have been in there. There's, like, graffiti all in there. The place has been ransacked. And we see Abe, and we also see, like, a lot of file cabinets pulled out. So I wonder if that's Abe, like, kind of looking in there. And so he's, like, knocking on the wall. And so they do a nice effect of showing, like, how it's hollow in one part, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I would think the, the file cabinets being open were because of the looters looking for stuff. Maybe, yeah. yeah. And Abe would know not to look. Abe, Abe knows to look for somewhere, like, a hidden panel. Yeah, okay. And so he does find a hidden panel behind this grandfather clock and he pulls the paneling back and he just discovers rows and rows and rows of tapes man i want to know because i mean you got hellboy you got liz you got, right. you got some you can't even see what it says exactly I, although we do know we will find out some say langdon yeah uh, but it's just like what's on these tapes <laughs> and there are so many of them uh, throughout <laughs> all the years yeah <laughs> good one sorry and this first tape that we see, it says Cavendish, Arctic Circle, and then it looks like it says Hyperborea. And so those are all things that relate all the way back to a Seat of Destruction. And so Abe, you know, he gets the recorder, he starts listening to it, and we get the sense that Broom is starting off every session by hypnotizing Abe. And right when it gets to the good part, speaking now to Langdon Everett Call, the tape player dies. Yeah. 
And so Abe opens it up, and it's all corroded, <laughs> the batteries and everything. Man. That is so frustrating, man. Yeah. In in the apocalypse, to, to need batteries. Sure. Right? <laughs> and it says Durell, so I think that was, that was kind of like, it's oh, like yeah. Duracell, yeah. but it's not exactly. And so we get this scene with Abe. Now he's got to go scrounging for batteries. And so imagine, you know, you're trying to find the secrets of your origin, and you got to go scrounging for batteries. Um, so he's, like, looking all around. All the batteries are gone. He goes into this United Hardware electrical supplies store, and then he goes back into the storeroom, and he starts getting shot at immediately. There's, like, people hiding back there. I was trying to figure out, they have, like, a some religious imagery and something in the corner that says, I ought to be, I want to be, gonna be, something about God. I was trying to look for that, but I couldn't find a reference to it. I was wondering if that was, like, a common saying or something. Right, I don't recognize that. And so we see these people back there and they're like, oh, dear God, they're looting now. And so they think Abe is like, (laughs) they think the frog monsters are looting now. They keep shooting at Abe. So he just books it out of there. He goes outside and he sees this charred apartment complex. And so we see him go up there and he finds his apartment and he's just like raiding all the drawers, emptying the flashlight and the remote control and all the little toys of batteries. I thought this was like a great way to get batteries because I mean, yeah, the store is going to be looted and all right. that, but I mean, she can go through my house right now and find tons of fucking batteries right, and exactly. dead remotes that I don't <laughs> even use anymore. And so he gets like a trash bag and he's just getting all these batteries together. And this is over a couple pages that it's just silent and he's just like looking for this stuff. I think this was a little attempt at comedy here where he finds these last two batteries. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. So uh, a brief moment of levity in this otherwise I didn't even horrific. catch that. That is so funny. And so next to it, because I'm so stupid because I caught the other reference, but yeah. I didn't catch that because this book that's sitting on the thing... It's very reminiscent of the cover of Prisoner of My Desire by Johanna Lindsay yeah. from 1991. Spirited <laughs> Rowena Belim must produce an heir or incur the dangerous wrath of a ruthless stepbrother who stands to forfeit <laughs> his ill-gotten wealth. And the magnificent Warwick de Chavel is a perfect choice to sire her child, though it means imprisoning the handsome knight and forcing him to bend to her amorous whims. All right. Jesus. Waka waka. <laughs> yeah. So, but the cover looks exactly like that. That's a little, so it's a little, yeah. they throw that in there, yeah. I think, to kind of, you know. I, it totally flew over my you head. You want some goofy stuff in a horror story. So, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't I, pick it up either. I caught it too, Daniel. <laughs> oh, right. That's great. So now Abe's got some batteries, and he heads back, and he's listening to the tapes. And Broom goes through hypnosis and is able to talk to Call, and he senses that Call was Abe's past life. He asks him about the term ichthyosapien and about the man named Cavendish, who has suspicions about a pre-human race. In this panel where Abe's like, suspicions. Or it's like Call, I guess, but that uh, that's a really powerful image right there. On the tape, Call tells Broom about how Cavendish was obsessed with the Arctic and how he planned a trip to find a buried civilization. And so as Abe is listening, he realizes that Broom knew about Call and that Call led him to the Arctic. And he just puts his head in his hands like this is such a mindfuck for him, right? Yeah, because he... And he died when he came back, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and he knew about Call since 82. And so he'd known him 12, 12 years at right. least before he That's died. That's messed up. That's crazy. Yeah. Abe gets another tape, and it says, Past Life Regression, Langdon Call, Oannes Society, Helioptic Brotherhood, and then it says 1800, question mark. This is session 43, and he listens to this one. 
and he talks about how there's a group of men looking in there. McWerther, Ensner, and a few others. And so these were the guys that were in those robot suits in Garden of Souls. Right. And they're wearing like the hooded um, robes and they've got like the little honest shell around their neck. And I like how he says, can you describe their clothing? Are there zippers? Is it modern? And it's just like, oh yeah, I mean, back then they didn't have zippers. Right, yeah. <laughs> Broom's trying to get a sense of what time period that yeah. took place in, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Timeline by oh, Crichton. Have it. Okay, it's 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 one of those books that's like this is very silly, but I really enjoy reading it. Okay. I really, really like it. I like everything this man writes. Anyway, like they they have this whole thing about oh you can't travel through time if you've got modern clothes on. These fabrics didn't exist or whatever the fuck. Oh, and so it's this whole okay. big long thing wow. about you got to wear the things. Oh, buttons weren't around. You got to tie it together or whatever. So that's all. Nice. I don't know. I, I like that type of shit too. So yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. That made one me think out. about that as well, yeah. Yeah, that attention to detail. Yeah. We cut over to Strobel and Vaughn, and it seems like they've arrived in New York. That's an eight hour flight, uh, maybe a little faster by horse drawn carriage. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Vaughn can't believe how quickly they got there, but Strobel says the quest nears its end. And he tears this flyer on the wall, and it says, Carl Smith will teach you guitar. This is based on a real reference, Dan Smith will teach you guitar. This is an ad campaign run in New York City that has resulted in a significant amount of coverage and satire. Dan Mm. Smith, he posted ads in the New York City area consisting of a photo of him with a guitar and the headline, Dan Smith will teach you guitar. Unlike traditional advertisements for guitar lessons, it didn't have those little tear-off things. It was. Oh. It, it just said Dan Smith will teach you guitar, <laughs> um, but it was so powerful. And in 2010, AOL's small business news section covered Smith's success at building up a brand based on his simple, unmistakable message. So it just kind of became a thing. And so there are tons of media where they satirize this by blank, blank, will teach oh, you okay. guitar or whatever. It's appeared in a lot of different things. And so I think it's interesting they incorporated here. Um, If anyone watches BoJack Horseman at the season three premiere, there's a poster in the background that says, Clam Smith will teach you guitar. Oh, nice. (laughs) It's good. good. And so Strobel, he's kind of talking to Vaughn and he says, I did not always come out on top, but I am here again. And Strobel, again, with that slight magic, he pours the ink on the flyer and it creates a map of the neighborhood now. Okay. And so now it's t- showing them how to get closer to where Abe is. Strobel looks at the map and he says to Vaughn, The friend of yours, which to you was a mystery to be left unsolved, I, well, I will find him. Wait, I know, Vaughn says. I know where Abe Sapien is. And so can he not control it or something? Like, because Strobel's looking for him, like Vaughn is just compelled to give this information. I feel like he's using that map to somehow compel him ah okay okay later it looks like he's leading him along by the map oh okay okay that makes sense i was trying to figure out again a lot of that magic is just real subtle and kind of open to interpretation back with abe he's listening to more tapes and we see like piles of tapes and batteries where he's just been going through all of this material He's listening to a tape where Call is talking about the Oana society split from the Heliopic Brotherhood. Our beliefs are very much at odds, you see, Call says. We seek to uncover history with science, whereas they turn to mysticism. And so by they, he's talking about the Helioptic Brotherhood. Yeah. 
Broom asks if the research took him to St. Sebastian. I don't believe so, Call says. Well, you see, for a long time, we ignored the European coastline, thinking man's origin must lie further south. Our own preconceived notions distracted us within thoughts of Babylon, Mesopotamia, and Abe turns that one off. But since Broom mentions St. Sebastian, Abe looks through these other tapes and he finds one that says, St. Sebastian, Pratt and Hampton, E. Gray, Vrooman, and Lipu Daggers. And so when you see this tape, you should pretty much go like, oh, I should go back and read Ape Sapien the Drowning again, because these are all references to that story. Pratt and Hampton were the backup agents. We knew that they found the location through Edward Gray's journal. Vrooman was the one that would, that had the Lipu dagger in him, and the the whole thing the bad guys were trying to do was take the dagger out so that way he could come so Vrooman could come back. Right. And so Abe kind of describes that here. So it's like, this must have been after the events of the drowning. And now Broom is asking him, hypnotizing him and asking him all this information, which is even more fucked up on another level because he's not going to tell Abe any of this. You know what I mean? Right. But yeah. he knew that he, this was the first mission that he sent Abe out. And then he's like, okay, let me see what really happened. Let me uncover all the layers. And so, you know, Abe's talking about how the place was cursed and they mentioned Sedubara, that was the priest of the secret fire, and that was the one that, you know, Vrooman was attached to. That kid that was like, he wasn't really real, he was made of like clay or whatever from that witch, and so it's kind of just um, recapping us on all those events. And so what we remember from that story is that Abe went into the church. And so these pod, these panels right here, that's how he ended it at the very end, because that guy was able to use this like shadow monster. And so he shot the candle and then he went in the church and started seeing all this sea imagery. But when Broom starts to question him on it, he's like, I can't remember. And Broom's like, it is there in your mind's eye. What did you see? And so remember, this is what Abe saw. He saw that jellyfish thing, Numya bisque or whatever yeah. it is, some kind of angel, Abe says, like a jellyfish, but with fins and a ray and gills like, and then we just see Abe like he's just listening to this with his head down, right? It's all starting to kind of come back to him. This is so Check crazy. This How can, like so... you're hearing yourself talk about stuff that you don't remember. Like that, I just keep thinking, like, what if I heard my own voice talking about yeah, stuff that, that I have so no idea creepy. that is there, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, I wonder if that's dangerous or if there's a danger to that, especially when you're somebody like Abe. Right. You know, like that's I mean, like having a, a nervous breakdown situation. or something. Yeah. Yeah. But what were we going to say, Matt? So if you go back to where those people said, um, now they're looting, yeah. there's a picture of Jesus Christ with the Sacred Heart. And it, I just think the Sacred Heart looks a lot like the jellyfish angel thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Like, like they both have a flame at the top. They have things going across it. I don't know if there's anything there, but hmm. for some reason, they zoom in on that, right? Yeah. On that one panel, they show oh, you the Oh, they do heart. at the very end. Yeah, at the very end of yeah. the page. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so anyway, there's we, something similar there. I don't I don't really know what to Yeah, we have seen imagery like that before. No, you know, there's something to, yeah, I guess if you kind of like do the thing where you like unfocus your eyes, it kind of looks like that. Right. Wow, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. That's a nice parallel to the story. Back with Strobel and Vaughn, they're tracking down Abe. Strobel thinks Vaughn is stalling and threatens to pluck the light from his chest. 
Um, but Vaughn says, Abe must be at Broom's. It was kept a historical site. Uh, Strobel starts a rant on how Broom is the lord of Vaughn's order of witless paladins. Doesn't it look like he's leading him by that? Map, yeah, though? you're absolutely yeah. right. You're absolutely right. But suddenly, they're taken upon by these Zinkle troops. And so, remember, the Black Flame is running New York City. So here we have the Zinko troops. Strobel calls them the Gestapo. And one of the guys is like, I didn't think there was anyone alive here. No, just us ghosts, Strobel says. Okay, so I'm going to say this. At this point, Liz and the BPRD have left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Manhattan. Back with Abe, he's listening to a tape where Broom asks Call about being transformed by the stone. Call says that the medium that directed them to the ruins made it seem like a priest or Oanas would be meeting them down there. And Broom is really intrigued by this. I just love these panels of, um, like, watching the tape in the flashback, but it's Langdon and not Abe sitting at the desk anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, because... And thank you for pointing that out. So a lot of it is the same framing, too, but they on one some panels they have Abe, and then on other ones it's Langdon instead, and they keep cutting back and forth to those, and then... There's also the kind of the, that, those sepia tone panels that mm-hmm. we always get when there's an, a flashback, which is really nice. Back with Strobel, he and Vaughn are being held at gunpoint by these Zinko troops. And so Strobel uses his magic to conjure up this giant red salamander. But I guess it's just like a image because they all start shooting at it and it like causes them to empty all their guns. And then Strobel's like, soldier, and he gestures Vaughn to like finish them off. And Vaughn looks real like, uh, you know. He seems bummed out that he's going to yeah. do this. But it's also starting to do this thing where it's cutting back and forth between the two stories. And so on the same pages, Abe listens to the tape as Broom asks Call if he can try something. And he starts hypnotizing Call. And so it's cutting back and forth between the two stories. And we've seen this before um, in some of these other Abe Sapien issues. So he's hypnotizing a guy a personality that came out while hypnotizing somebody else. Correct. Yeah. Yes. So how do you, how do you wow. back out of that? That's like <laughs> no. the inception of hypnotism. Right. An amazing action beat as Vaughn just takes out all these Zinko guards. You know, if anything, Strobel at least like gets him to kill these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, he's really not, going at it. I mean, terrible. he's taken on like three guys at once. It's really awesome. Broom tells Call in their session that he wonders if there's a third spirit that he can talk to. And we're just getting cut back and forth between Vaughn being a killing machine to just killing all these guys. And Broom, as he starts this third hypnosis, Abe starts speaking that lunatic, magic, all-tongue, Hyperborean, frog language thing that we've been talking about. And as soon as that starts happening, he's like, click. He turns it off. Just like I said, imagine hearing your own voice. Like, we've seen that stuff. Frog language comes so many times. But imagine hearing yourself say stuff like that. Oh, God, it just really creeps me out in these panels. Especially when he clicks it off right away as soon as that starts. In the aftermath of the Zinko battle, Strobel tells Vaughn to take one of their uniforms. It will hide his wounds and look enough like the BPRD for their purposes. And then so these local kids come across Vaughn and Strobel. And they're like, oh, I said someone would come. Help us. This one girl's like, my dream. She said you'd come in a form we wouldn't expect. And so, again, Strobel says, soldier, and he gestures towards Vaughn. And so you know, you already know Vaughn's going to have to oh, kill all man. these kids, yeah. too. But well, I thought what that was, was that dream? Yeah, what was this thing about a dream? And she said, 
But they, so that's an interesting little detail there. Back with Abe, he's still listening to the tape, and on the tape call is talking to Broom and telling him how they thought they'd find a person in those ruins under the sea. A priest had died there, and they thought they'd find him, but they only found that stone egg. The medium assured them that they found what they were looking for, proof of the race to which Oannes belonged, which would prove evolution while disproving Darwin's specific theory. We wish to find Oannes, Call says. And so I like how he's like, well, I still want to promote evolution, but fuck that Darwin guy, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but this panel at the bottom where he says, we wish to find Oannes, and Abe is just looking in the mirror at the same time. That's a really powerful panel to me. I love the shift in art style for his reflection. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, the irony is... I think, Broom responds, is that you were looking for an entity that did not exist until you yourself turned into it. And so, again, he's referencing the origin of Abe Sapien that we... So he knew Abe's origin. He had already started to put it together, and he didn't... Abe had to go on this whole thing Uh, to figure it out, right? And Call is just silent as he says that. There's just, like, a panel with nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of because he knew it, so he didn't tell Hellboy, he didn't tell Liz. Right. He's... But Abe did just fine not knowing it until, you know, until later. Sure, sure. He says the German medium was intrigued and wanted to come to a proper seance, but on the eve of her departure, she changed her mind, and she said she would not come and they should not try to contact anyone with the stone, that they should take it back to the sea, but this made them more intrigued by it. As the tape is going, we see Strobel and Vaughn, and now they're in the same house with Abe. They're, you know, they're in the same... Uh, residence uh, and he's heard them right exactly and so abe is like going out there to see what's going on and we see strobel he's making like a sigil on the ground with chalk and he gestures vaughn to go over to abe over the next few pages as this scene plays out the tape is playing and then their story is moving forward and it makes it difficult to describe in this verbal form. This is another reason why com- this is what you were talking about, Danielle. Yeah. I was gonna, told you I was going to come back to it. Com- it's changing the form of narrative yeah. as we know it. But there's something that works about it because when I'm reading it, I can follow it. Yeah. My brain's not scrambled yeah. by it. But if I tried to talk over the pages as we're going, it would not make sense in, a, in this verbal form. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe what's happening and then i'll go back and describe what the tape said because it's all happening and it like lines up perfectly to the tape as it's going with the action that's happening it's really interesting and so this is one that you really want to go back and get your back issue your trade out and kind of see how these pages laid out because it's really um like i said another reason why comics are such an innovative medium abe comes across vaughn just like he did in dark and terrible they kind of it's like a very parallel image right before vaughn got killed and abe remembers him and he says he doesn't look so good something happened to you didn't it i guess this is the world we're living in abe says joe i'm so sorry and vaughn starts to break there right like the like the emotion is getting to him you know what i mean and that's like maybe the one thing that could break strobel's spell because then Vaughn's like, Abe, get out of here. There's a man. He's a monster, Abe. And then so Strobel comes in. And he's like, soldier. And he uses his magic and he cleaves Vaughn. He says, cleaved by the first and fifth pentacles. And then it's almost like a giant cleaver came down and just chopped Vaughn down the middle. 
it's really graphic and yeah. you know just a terrible end to this tortured character unwillingly serving strobel this whole time and finally he just had to stand up for his friend and it totally killed him and so this is where my note was about the fifth pentacle of saturn this pentacle defendeth those who invoke the spirits of Saturn during the night and chases away the spirits which guard the treasures. Around the four sides of the square in the pentacle are the names of the angels, and I'm going to butcher these, Arahana, Rakhanyal, Roo, Hafathar, and Noaphil. And so two of these names are the ones that he mentions here in his incantation, and he said them earlier too. Just again, the amount of research that they put into to make sure that all this stuff isn't just nonsense, you know what I mean? I think it's really cool. I mean, it is, but but still, it it, it has some... The fact that I could put this into Google no, yeah, and it and could it, actually yeah. give me something that means something, I'm like, wow, no, that's, there's, there's that's impressive. There's all these various pentacles of every yes, planet there's a, there's and a the lot thing of them, yeah. and the moon and the... Yeah. Strobel powers up in his green light and the salamanders appear around his head. It almost makes me think like as he... Whenever he does his big power, those salamanders just start going. You know what I mean? I think that's kind of interesting. It really kind of puts it together visually for me yeah and he sends this blast of power that sends abe flying back strobel okay, keep... everything's green right yeah. because his magic is a force yes yes strobel keeps working on his chalk sigil and he draws the symbol of abe in the center of it and so abe comes back after him but he's blocked by some sort of magic it's like there's a magic wall or something that is keeping him from getting to strobel Strobel says, he was ready to cut Abe open, but I found out on my own. I constrain thee, O thou spirit, Ichthyosapien. And in Strobel's incantation to try and bind Abe, he mentions Solomon's vessel of brass. Solomon commanded demons into a vessel of brass together with their legions. And when he had thus bound them up and sealed the vessel, he by divine power did chase them into a deep lake and they of Babylon did then go wholly into the lake to break the vessel open. He also mentions Marbas, Gusion, and, and Amduzius, and these are all demons that have been associated with Strobel in one way or another in previous stories. He also mentions Focalore. This is a fallen angel. He appears as a man with griffin wings and has the power of the wind and the sea and drowns men and sinks warships. And so I don't know that we've seen that demon yet, um, but apparently he has a connection to Strobel too. Strobel curses Abe in his spell, and it starts affecting Abe. In one panel, Abe, he appears like old Abe, and he starts speaking the frog language again, that weird language. And so whatever Strobel's trying to do is, like, causing something. And so when he does that, Abe, you know, he retreats. He breaks down the door, and then he jumps out the window to get away, because he re- he's realizing that Strobel is starting yeah. to do something to him. This is fucking him. me up. Yeah. Like, what's going on? So, this is complex. Abe's speech bubble when he jumps out the window, it's kind of yellowish, right? No. No. That- I think that's the... Um, oh, that, yeah, that's a different, that's a different says, thread of dialogue. Because here's... Because what I thought was happening was Abe is somehow being affected by this use of magic while hearing these recordings going at the same time. Yes, yes. And that there's some sort of, like, messiness happening, like the wires are getting crossed. Sure. Oh, okay. Yes. And and it freaked him out. And, like, somehow listening to the recording of his hypnosis was adding to the magic. Right. Drawing this out of him. Sure. And yeah. then maybe it's just like this because I'm reading the single issue, but when he 
he jumps through the window and yells he yells ah it's yellow oh see in in the omnibus it's white yeah because we're looking at maybe that was just like a error or, I don't know. That's interesting that but no, you say that. But no, I like that. that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Let's, we'll go with that. And so you mentioned the tape. And so the tape is playing throughout this whole scene with Vaughn and everything that I just described. And the tape is describing more of the conversation between Broom and Call. Call told Broom how they were more intrigued to go after Oannes after the medium told them not to. And they assumed she had another vision that scared her off. After the Oana's guys got the stone egg, they decided that they didn't need the medium. Some of them had done seances, so they could probably do it themselves, right? You know what I mean? I'll fix my own car. That's always worked out great, right? Whenever I try and do stuff like that. I'm a mechanic. I know how to do this stuff. And so they got ready for the seance. It was real complicated, but Call's role was simple. He just had to, like, hold it. But something came over him. The object crumbled in my hands, Call says. Inside it, I saw. I saw. Then Abe speaks to Professor. as It's like Abe is listening to the Professor talk to Call in the background, right? Because then Abe yeah, so just, so, so he's, the, he's talking to the call, but then Abe jumps in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's he like said, a conference call through hypnosis. Exactly. <laughs> and Abe's like, hey, professor. And he starts tearing up. And he's like, the thing that call saw, it was the thing that he saw in St. Sebastian. It was that thing or something just like it. Some part of me, some part of me recognized it. But, and then Abe's not able to continue. And so... By the time that all of this has played, Abe is jumping out of the window already. So then, and that's str- when he started speaking in tongues or whatever. Yes, exactly. In the present. And so then Strobel, he hears this last part of the tape. And so he's like, ah, you know, he clicks the tape and he hits rewind. Uh. And so we see Abe escaping into the water and we see Strobel curiously inspecting all the tapes and everything that Abe has been listening to. Another reason why Broom may have kept it a secret. He knows that if it got into the wrong hands. Right. And that's exactly what's happened here. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a crazy story. I loved that. But it's so weird to try and narratively summarize it on a podcast form. Those are really two issues that lend itself to the comic medium very well. And uh, Strobel ends. And I love he's got black fingernails. It's like horrible. Oh, because of the ink right was it Maybe, because of yeah the i don't know i don't know but yeah that's an interesting detail he's got his goth going on but he picks <laughs> up the um the tape that essentially is the drowning recap exactly yeah. exactly you're right not good And our next story is Abe Sapien, Dark and Terrible Deep. This is a one-shot story published in June 2016 as Abe Sapien, issue 34. Written by Mignola and Alley, art by Sebastian Fumara, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And we open... This is my favorite Abe Sapien, or most read Abe Sapien comic Oh, I could definitely see that. I have reread this thing so many times. Yeah, I definitely have some questions about it when we get to the end. I just want to point out well, that, of course, it's a Manola comic. Yes, that's how, that's how they go. <laughs> I just want to point out how uh, frightening the cover is. Like Strobel getting a hold of the angel oh, right. jellyfish. You're yeah. right. It's a, yeah, it's kind of like a whole shit kind of. Moment. Yeah, that's exactly. No good, yeah. Thank you for pointing out the cover, Aubrey. We and so sometimes I think like 
me and Matt don't mention stuff like that as much because we know what happens. Right. Yeah. But it's like you guys are, and I love that. Like you're reading this for the first time, and you're like, "Wait a minute, we got to mention this cover. This is fucked up that this is happening." No, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and then there's probably people uh, listening and they're reading along, and they don't know either. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so we open on Abe swimming underwater, and as he's swimming, we get this flashback right back with the Oanis guys. And I assume that's the German medium or whatever that was telling them about it initially. She's telling them about the secret ruins, and we see the Oanis guys, they're copying down everything she's saying in their notes, and we see she them... She says, in- uh, uh, the secret master said to warn you from this path, and I think that's key. Oh, I, there's similar okay. language oh, later. Yeah. Right, right, Okay. Nice. And we also see them in their Victorian ship, like they're getting ready to go down there. And also Abe is going down there, too. So these are happening kind of like parallel. I love the way Seba draws him in the water. Yeah. And the way he's swimming. It's just like, I don't know, it's just something really badass about it. <laughs> yeah. And this new form is very sleek. Too. Yes. And so we get this weird effect as Abe is going down into the ruins. It's like they're coming back together. Like the crumbled pieces are somehow being held up, and then over the next panels, he sees it fully restored. It's like a neat way to do a flashback. Yeah. And in the backgrounds, it's like he's in uh, Mike Manola world. Right. It's like he's in ancient Hyperborea, but he's actually underwater in these ruins. But a lot of times it looks like Manola style, not like he's aping it like he has. Oh, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. And so he hears a voice. Do you hear sunken bells toll for thee? Out of the caverns of Nunya Bisque, dark and terrible deep, the ocean is calling her children home. Welcome, Abe Sapien. My name is Shanshin. It's truly a relief to see you like this. It means it's nearly over, he says. That's terrifying. Yeah, it is. But it's also, we've heard that dark and terrible poem or whatever so many times. And so I think it's interesting here to get it kind of reframed with Shan Chen. No, this is great. I'm loving this. Yeah. Oh, sure. yeah. We cut over to Strobel. He's got his sailboat again, and he approaches St. Sebastian. And the city is completely overtaken by this, like, black fungus stuff or whatever. Is this, like, maybe from, like, Pickens County? Is it that kind of stuff? Or mm-hmm. It also kind of reminds me of BPRD Grind, because we see, like, people all overtaken within it and stuff like that. Kind of like that mushroom stuff, too. Yeah. Strobel approaches the church. And he sees one of these guys, he's still alive, like all in the tangle of webs or whatever. It kind of reminded me of like aliens. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I love that. Yeah. When they go into the thing and he's like, help me or whatever. That's fucked up. Some sort of like living vegetation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somehow it like imprisons you, but keeps you alive, unfortunately. Right. (laughs) And the guy says, God forgive you, son. Turn away before you cannot. And Strobel says, God where is your god in this? Ah. And he's like, I love his like his hands I'm and a everything. Villain. Yeah. Well, and they're speaking French. How cool is that? Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> and we see him approach the church, and so you know, Abe talked about the church in the tape, and we know that that's where he saw the angel, and so Strubble goes dra- straight for there, and he walks inside. I thought it was interesting how it's all red. Like, what is yeah, so that? Is that blood? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going with blood. <laughs> yeah. I'll go with I mean, this is the worst place on earth, right? Yeah. yeah. And he looks up and he hears all this language, that secret language again. And then he sees the angel up there. And then we get this incredible panel as he like merges with it or something. It like overtakes him. And this is one of the 
few times that we've seen Strobel actually like look vulnerable or yeah, look like, like what's he's going on. In this yeah, issue? yeah. He listened to the tape and he learned that that angel was there, and he was like, "I'm going to go check this out." And it's not quite how it happened to Abe. No, Langdon, right, right. This, right. Is, this looks more violent to me. Yeah, yeah. Like he's already a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Like when when it happened to Langdon, okay fairly yeah. decent fellow right i mean <laughs> it's not it, it didn't make him worse but this uh, this right away isn't good no no we cut back to abe and shanshin and they walk through this lush hyperborean scene it looks like manola art right yeah kind of doesn't shanshin said i'm relieved to see you like this and so abe's like what did that mean the part about it being over it's not over new york was surrounded by those ogdrahem abe says Ah, yes, the world you've known for which you once fought so hard will fall, Shanshan says. Getting some excellent Shanshan content in these, yeah, in these pages I know, here. Yeah. I am, I'm so ready for this. So when he says, I'm relieved to see you in this form, when last I, and they cut him off, oh, I think he's yeah. talking about the evolved Abe. Yeah. He's seen oh. Abe before. I right. want to mention that later, but... Okay, yes, thank yeah. you for pointing that out. And they're kind of like going into the ruins... And Abe says, let me guess, monsters destroyed the world before you were there. He's like, I am not there. I am merely a man. Like me, Abe says, more like you than you know, Shanshan says. And he kind of smiles. That's an interesting line. And Shanshan tells Abe that the ancient world didn't fall to monsters, but fought against them. It was through the worship of darkness that Hyperborea fell to ruin. And we learned all about this, that um, they were corrupted by the black goddess and her teachings. Right. Some went beneath the earth to plot against the coming race of man. A second spiritual group reached for the stars and founded a new kingdom, Hyperbarum. Their prayers held the Ogdra Jihad in their prisons. And so we've seen like these exact panels in Wake the Devil, down here at the bottom with the shaman. Yeah, these are great. And this is kind of along the lines of what that girl was talking about. Maggie, was that her name? She mentioned Hyperbarum, correct. And so Abe asks about those proto-humans, too. We've seen those in BPRD Hollow Earth and the Black Goddess, as well as the Warning, I think. Were they Hyperboreans, Abe asks? Shanshan says they were a slave race bred by the left-hand path. A third group of Hyperboreans stayed on Earth and taught the first humans to draw down and harness the Vril. And we get some awesome flashbacks. So we see, so this is the left-hand path, the ones that have those twin dragon emblems around their neck. And we see them fighting those proto-humans because we learn that they, like, revolted against their masters. But these were also the same guys that Memnon Saw was with. Right. Remember? Yeah. So, like, mm-hmm. Gilly Boy, he was part of the left-hand <laughs> path now, right? This is all kind of putting right. it all in the context. Yeah. I like how Abe calls him Sir to Shanshin. He's like, look, sir, I've heard so many goddamn stories about the end of the world. If you're telling me I have to harness... <laughs> and Shanshin's like, no, 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 you won't harness the fire. That gift was taken long ago. For no sooner had the new man risen that he felt the touch of the black goddess. So they were corrupted. And he also mentions the Ogdruhem. He says, remember their number. It is 369 and it never changes. For the ones that had been destroyed remained as spirits. It was those who called upon early man to perform the rituals and sing the songs that would welcome them back into the world. And so we see this, like, these evil tribes, right? They're the ones that worship the Ogdruhem. And it's like one panel with all these Ogdruhem on it. It's like, 
Sick. That's like a that's like a, a group photo, right? Yeah, I mean, it's that's good. like the because we got the salt and sea monster in there. We've got the one that was over New York when they went in there, and then I'm pretty sure that we've seen this other one with the uh, uh, yeah. wasteland. 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 Yeah, I think you're right. And so Shanshan takes Abe to the scene. We see these two giant pillars, and they have those twin dragon emblems on it. Is this what I needed to see, Abe asks? This is one of the last Hyperborean outposts, Shanshan says, but this one had grown sick with the worship of monsters. Two shamans had the power of the Vril, and they had faced the monsters. They turned the hearts of evil men, so they thought they could convert these guys too. Oh, and we and in here we also get this panel where we see like Howards, right? We see Galdinar. Okay, I was going to ask if that was Galdinar or Howards. Yeah, yeah, because that is that same Ogdruham that he fought in that story. I thought that was a nice little yeah. touch. How everything kind of sort of locks into place. It really does. And I like how they, when they kind of take time to reframe everything and you go, oh yeah, those oh yeah moments are the best stuff in this whole series. Oh, and so I guess if this is, if this is Howard's Galdenar, then that means he definitely was in the past. And not oh, some sort of, okay. You know, yeah, I like that. And then so these Good are the call. like the cold people, right, who were mentioned yeah. in that story. And so these two shamans, they come across all these cold people, and they're going to try and convert them. But they underestimated the darkness they would find, Shanshan says. And so these two guys, they look like Shanshan. They have the same kind of symbols, and they've got the beard and everything. And they try and talk to the guys about how they must turn away from this path that they're on. But the men wanted nothing of it. They attacked the shamans. The shaman laments that this used to be a city of worship. The greatest race of men dwelled here in wisdom and peace, one of them yells. The cold people, the evil ones, they start stabbing them. And then they start tying them up to the stone pillars. They insisted that the shamans renounce their faith. So they were like, you came to convert us. Now we're, we want you to convert back to what we're doing or something. And so they start torturing them. And we see the shamans being whipped. And one of them's getting his freaking eyes gouged out and everything. One man faltered, betraying everything he believed, everything he loved in favor of his own life. He pledged loyalty to the left-hand path, Shanshan says solemnly. So they let that one go. You know, he was like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll be with you guys. And so they let him go and we see him escaping in the boat. And the other one died. He never faltered in his faith. He did not fear the price he would pay, for he loved the light most of all. And so we see the one that dies. I guess when he dies, he emits this giant light. And it's Oh, it's the Vril. You're right. Yeah, and it destroys all the cold people. But it also reveals that jellyfish thing also. Right. So he... Mm-hmm transforms here's the butterfly right, right. so yeah. he's so the vril was inside of him and then when he died and it left him it manifested into this yes right exactly and it causes this huge explosion also and so we see that one that renounced his faith you know he's getting away one man got away with his life although broken the other one was transformed. And so we see the jellyfish creature, after it lets out that huge burst of energy, it kind of cocoons itself into that same stone that we know that Call found that turned him into Abe and all that stuff, right? Okay, so that guy who just died and then the Vril came out of him is Abe. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I was going to say, because like when uh, Broom was uh, hypnotizing, he's talking about, like, you know, it says there was a priest that was uh, a third. 
that brought down the temple or something right, like that. Right, right. And so another thing I think is interesting is that they talked about on the tape, the Oana's guys, how they thought they were going to go down there and find a priest, but they didn't. They found the stone egg. But when Abe but went down there... They did find a priest. Well, right. and, and when Abe went down there, he found Shanshan. Ah. Right, but the egg is the priest. Right. Right. Okay. So the seer was kind of... She she didn't know what she was talking about, but right. she was right. Right, right. It's all kind of linked in this weird way. And then we know that the other one has got to be Sanchen because of this one panel right here. Got to be. You know um, how I love to completely change the subject right in the middle of what you're sure, saying? Sure, sure. Uh, back to what you were saying earlier, This in this particular panel right here, um, it really does look like the Sacred Heart thing. Yeah. Oh, I think, yeah. I think that, It really does. I think that's a lot. symbolic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because, I, I mean, that. it came out of him. I would right? have never made that connection. Yeah, me either. So. That's wonderful. The Sacred Heart, there's another one. There's the Sacred Heart, that the symbol of Christ, and there's another one that's the symbol of the Virgin Mary. Oh, are they, I like, different? I what it's called, but... Yeah, and they're slightly different. But, Interesting. But noticeably different. When the Hyperborean masters and their faithful went on to Hyperbarum, the broken man was left behind, Shanshan says. And this panel of Abe, he's, like, on the ground, like, I don't know, I feel like he's reeling from all this information from this info dump about his origin and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, did he just see this happen too? Did he see like a recreation of this? So he's seen that jellyfish thing again. And oh I, yeah. Cause well, when the one guy, they let him go and he runs away, he bumps into Abe. I he totally like missed Abe that. Over. You're right. I totally missed that. Wow. And, and don't you love how uh. Abe is just kind of going along with this hallucination? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Like, he never once questions it, right? Right. Wow. That's interesting. And we've seen so many times where Abe is, like, wrapped up with the past, and he's living in the past at the same time that he's living in the present, and it's and impacting each other. That's so crazy. Yeah. Why did you show me that, Abe says? The broken man couldn't call down the vril for some time, but eventually he found there was enough of it left in him that he could not die. Punishment for his weakness in that terrible city. What about the other man, Abe says. You've grown tired of denying what you are, haven't you? To think you believe those fools who said you were kin to the Ogdrahem. I'm not, Abe says. It was a long, dark road. Better to see this. No, Shanshan says. What am I, Abe says. You alone carry the light of the old world into the next world. It is a burden, Shanshan says. There is no shame in being afraid, Abe Sapien. We have all known fear. But do not run from it. Do not run. And we cut over to St. Sebastian. We see the overrun city. We see that stone that says EG on it, where Edward Gray left that indication. Mm -hmm. The time is here. (laughs) And we go inside. We pan through the remains of that church. And we see Strobel in that pool of blood. And he's changing. He's transforming into something, right? So would he be like Sebastian Sapien? Right. (laughs) That's bad news. That's super bad news, right? Yeah. Okay. I think, remember we saw one of these shamans in a recent issue and we were like, is that Sanchin? I think we can safely assume it is. Yes. Yes. The one that talked to Strobel. Yes. And I think that Sanchin has been getting Abe's back for a while now. Because they were fellow shaman during this time, right? Like, remember in King of Fear, Sanchin shows up right the last second and vanishes Abe and everybody out of there. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, man. And I think that's, 
like Sanchin being like, well, okay, if I mean, if I have to live forever, the least I can do is protect the vessel carrying the sacred light in, right. for the next world or whatever he was talking yeah, about. It's yeah. kind of vague. But I think that that was Sanchin that they let go. That's what I was going to say. Okay, so which one is Sanchin? Is he, is he Abe or is he the one that renounced his faith and had to stay there? Well, I mean, if you look, it's showing the one that renounced his face. It, you show the panel, and then the next panel is Sanchin. Yeah, you're yeah, right. You can, okay. As you can tell, because the beard is white in the one panel, and then it's kind of blondish in the other panel. So Abe is his former buddy. He's like his yeah. former shaman yeah. partner. And then Sanchin yeah. failed. Yeah, so he was the broken man. I think that is so interesting that we've come to revere Shanshan so much, but in that moment, he actually chose his life over his faith. Well, I mean, go back to when they first walked into like that marketplace. The one guy is obviously Sanchin, and the other guy's a little taller. Yeah. That's the Abe guy, I guess. Wow, yeah, that is so cool. Yeah, I but love that. Now... Now, don't you want to go back and read, like, every time somebody talked to Abe about something that he didn't get? Right, He dismissed yeah. as mumbo-jumbo, you know, or, or something. Or every time Shanshan shows up, you know what yeah. I mean? Because you start to think about Abe's relation to Liz and Liz's relationship to Shanshan. And it's just like, wow. That to is go back just, and yeah, read yeah, everything. That is, that is so it's, much to process. Yeah. I mean, this story is like really good because I mean, it's like, yeah, I want to know what's going to happen next, but I also want to go back and reread everything because yeah. I'm all like, <laughs> I want to see how these pieces falling into place. You know? Well, and so there's this one jellyfish angel that eventually becomes Abe. What's the one in Saint Sebastian? See, that's a big how question. many of them are out there? Right, because right? that right. that one looks it looks different, right? Looks a little more um, um, vengeful too. Yeah, there's just something about it, like maybe. St. Sebastian's a real horrible place, so maybe it's just not the best right. place to store a jellyfish angel. Sure. <laughs> like, like it just gets tainted after a while. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the listeners can kind of piece together some of those threads from the drowning and from this story because i i feel like there are more layers that we are missing i almost want to go back and listen to our episode on the drowning and hear about what we talk about so that way i can be like oh yeah because a lot of that oh, um, i have to that. admit i had to go back and kind of go back and, and look at that story again over on the sketchbook so we're on 419 in the digital omnibus version and so we see the sketches for those three characters and we didn't come back to those three characters the ones that were out there fishing and the splinter and all that stuff that was just kind of like that little intro but danielle you had mentioned how he actually draws him like a little boy he's based on sebastian fumara's son okay yeah so, and they even use the, they changed the name from James to Milo because that's his son's Aww. name. So yeah. I that was interesting. Well, yeah. I, mean, I, I thought that was touching when I read that. Yeah. I mean, I think just using a reference in general is good. Like, obviously, this, he's right. an amazing artist. Like, why wouldn't he? Right, right. You know, like, we're looking <laughs> at birds and children and saying, hey, these look like the things that he's trying to depict. But it's, and it sounds so obvious and simple, but like. Yeah, use a reference. Yeah, yeah. The drawings I was talking about that I was complaining about, it's clear that these people didn't look at an actual child (laughs) or a picture of a child, you know what I mean, to draw this. So anyway, yeah. We also see Max's layouts for the cover of the Black School and the pencils for it, which are amazing to look at these pencils. They're so beautiful. It is sick. (laughs) We also see those sketches of Gusion, and like Aubrey was saying, yeah, I could see, like, this one does kind of look like a dog, or you could easily substitute a dog's face in there. Um, They talk about Strobel's new look, 
And so I thought that was interesting that they're like, oh, we're going to slash him across the face and cut off his nose to just give him that almost skeletal, you know, kind of like Skeletor. Skeletor with a cool haircut is what Strobel kind of looks like. I don't know. I I didn't catch this. It's like they cut off his nose to spite his face. Oh. To spider face? (laughs) Not spider face, spite. (laughs) On the office. Good one. We get the cover for the Secret Fire trade paperback, which uh, I don't know why they put it here. I don't think these stories are collected in this one. But anyway, it's a great great cover. We also get them sketching out some of the other covers to the trades, as well as the covers to the issues. It also has some nice sketches by Seba of the Hyperborean ruins and how they were going to lay that out. And it almost looks like Mignola's sketches. When I first saw this, I was like, oh, cool that Mignola designed this. But no, they're, they're by Seba. But they have a very kind of yeah. Mignola look to them. And we also get some nice pencils from those stories. Yeah, that was really great. I really enjoyed those Ape Saving stories. And I like how those three stories flowed together. I thought it was a really nice choice of Mark Tweedo to kind of chunk them like that because I feel like those three stories just kind of flow one into the other and uh, it's nice to kind of sit there and read them all in one go if you were it was pi- such a yeah because there's so much that's starting to pay off now that it's very right. to read all all of these all at once was just like oh my god I if to you go back and read them again now if you had to read them one a month for four months i can't imagine you that. know it just kind of it doesn't yeah. it doesn't do it justice like it does in all like one yeah. nice chunk like that i mean i don't i don't even know if i could remember everything you know? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so it's very dense. But it was uh, it was really cool because it was also like a like a giant information dump. Like we get like all this information about Abe that we've been wondering for yeah a while now. for all these issues, thirty something issues of this yeah. series. People plus, have been people have been going like, what? Or when are we going to find out about Abe's origin? Why is he just yeah. hanging around drinking beers and eating tacos or whatever? And then then well, here we get all this information in like four issues. But I mean, it, it, it's handled very well. It doesn't feel like. Oh, this is an information dump because we forgot to tell you shit kind of thing. It's right, like right. it's like a it's it's very well done in the story and it felt very natural the way it came about. Remember when we first started with Abe, I was saying stuff like it's almost poetic the way they write this series yeah, and, and it really is. The story flows and that was like a glorious pun that I did not intend. But, <laughs> and and it's like you're standing in a stream and and the story points are just light hitting the water and just gliding right, on by and you can yeah. read this or you can read that or you can read into it or study it more just let it go right and so in hindsight i mean they say you know these comics reward a reread and they really do i mean now we have to like holy crap think about all the stuff that's come to pass and would be in a totally new light right? yeah it's almost like, like we need a an, an episode to just process all the information that was given in these stories yeah exactly but it, and you know what's cool about it is this would be the first time that i ever read just the abe stuff without all the other bprd titles that were coming out at the same time ah and so so i can see now more clearly that the abe series really does a lot of the world building yeah, it for really the does. rest of the titles, wow. like it really gives you like the street level stuff that you were getting from BPRD. Now you get that in Abe, and you can see how Hell on Earth is affecting the world. And what better point of view than Abe, who's this guy that everyone knows, they recognize him, but at the same time they're like he's totally got something to do with this, but we don't know what. We right, can only speculate. Right. And so I think like the series itself, while I was one of those voices going, all right. Give me the goods. I want to know his <laughs> origin. Please deliver. 
you can see how there was a lot of value to this series oh, and yeah. how it couldn't have yeah. just been a five issue arc. They had to really go off. Right. I think, I think it's, we're not at the end of it yet. No, we aren't. And I mean, it's, it's just, it's expert storytelling. It feels like it's just like a, the way that this whole Mignola verse is laid out. It's just like, you know, everything's just built to end, to get to tease it out, but they'll give you the information. And then when it is, you're like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it really yeah. takes you time to process it. They, they don't just rush you all through it. They, right. They right. Let it build slowly. So you get to know the characters and really feel for them. I love it. All right. And we will be back checking out the BPRD Helener, see what's going on with them next week. I had a great time on this episode. I can't wait to listen to all the listener feedback. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody, share us your thoughts on Abe Sapien, The Black School, Regression, and Dark and Terrible Deep. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find the Discord link and the reading order on our Facebook About section. As always, a special thanks to Paul from Glatterhorn for the uh, <laughs> for the amazing theme music. Thanks to Mark Trudell for all, all the uh, work he does in helping the reading order. And always thank you to John for the amazing editing. Like this last episode, it was fucking tiller i mean did you enjoy that man it was edited really well (laughs) Uh, you can find the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify podbean or wherever you get your podcasts from next week we are going to be talking bprd hell on earth flesh and stone and broken vessels so you know what to do break out your back issues your trades your digitals get them from the library borrow them from a friend just do what you got to do to get them legally and join (laughs) us next week on the hellboy book club podcast thanks a lot for listening everybody i'm john salinas i'm danielle i'm matt strackbine and i'm aubrey lovelace saying sunken bells toe for thee (laughs) nice (laughs) (laughs) it's a cool one (laughs) 